What is up? Hello there. My name is Jessica Patching Bunch. You can call me JPB. And this is Brain Body Resilience. This is a podcast dedicated to growth, human development, and stressing a little bit less so you can go ahead and live a little bit more. Hello, my friends, and welcome back. Today, I want to talk a little bit about how we often confuse anger powerlessness, and stress. And this is why the language matters. You can refer back to episode number 100, where I talk all about the um, language and vocabulary around feelings and emotions and how we express those and what difference that makes and how we are able to process them. So go check that out. Because if we can't identify what we're feeling then we can't know how to work with it. So like most things human, identifying feelings is complex, but it's made harder by a culture and society that tells us that stress is acceptable and even, um, you know, kind of a, a measure of success, how stressed out you are, but feeling powerless and expressing that or feeling anger are not. And that has some complexity as well, because things like anger are okay if you are male presenting, and powerlessness is kind of expected if you are female presenting. And so when we talk about how stressed we are, we're not getting curious about what is causing this feeling of stress sometimes, if we don't have the right vocabulary around it. And I see these things confused or just kind of as a root to the stress that we are feeling. And so we need to be asking and digging a little bit deeper deeper about what is the need that is being ignored here. And this is coming up because I had a recent experience where I felt like I was kind of being pushed in a direction uh, and being forced to do something that I didn't want to be doing. And this was kind of based on very little communication, very little information. And then I just made some shit up in my head and made up this story about how I needed to kind of defend myself against this, you know, threat to my autonomy, which turns out none of that was necessary. And when I stopped to create some space and press pause long enough to recognize the story I was telling... It was that I was powerless in this situation, which was absolutely not true. There is always a choice. Maybe not one that we like, but there's always a choice. And so in this situation, I was creating this whole story and getting kind of angry about it and becoming a little bit of, you know, resentful towards some people. And once I created the space to look at where that was coming from and realized that I do have a choice... I was able to to let all of that go and totally reframe how I was approaching the situation and also realize that that was kind of a deeper area that I needed to, another layer that I needed to look into because it was showing up affecting these other things in my, in my day-to-day life. So I want to look at anger. Um, and if we view this as being the fight against present moment reality, what currently exists, and then a refusal to accept that, that's what we're fighting against, 
And then we also know that anger and resentment are incredibly expensive in the attention and energy department. When we are angry and we are resentful, we're carrying around these heavy feelings and it is costing us greatly. Anger is not inherently bad, as I talk about and, you know, stand firm in. If we have the ability to experience a feeling, if we have that capacity, we are meant to feel it. We are meant to feel the whole spectrum. It is a normal and natural emotion. It is appropriate in times where you interpret an injustice or something wrong. But it's commonly a secondary emotion rather than a primary emotion. I know that I've talked about this in a previous episode, but that just means that, you know, it can take shape unconsciously just as a, as a reaction before we have the ability, the time to choose. It can take an unconscious shape in response to more vulnerable feelings And these would be the primary feelings of helplessness or hurt or inadequacy or insecurities. So then we put on this defense of anger and it works as a shield that deflects uncomfortable emotions so they don't have to be felt. They can be avoided for a little bit longer or kept at more of a distance. It also gives us the illusion of a sense of power and control and it directs our focus outward rather than in to these more vulnerable feelings. And it's always almost easier to, and you know, more comfortable to focus on the actions of others than it is to focus on ourselves. Because there's nowhere to run when we're focusing inward. We can't just step away from that conversation. It's just right there, always right there waiting for us. And so if we talk about resentment, this is the re-experiencing of past injustices, past wrongs that we have felt whether those were real or perceived. Because again, your brain doesn't know the differences between experiences that we are using our imagination to think about and create or that are actually happening in our external environment. The same brain regions fire, and in some cases, same type of encoding happens. And so a lot of the time they are built on this old feeling of anger, And that is connected to these perceived past injustices that we then carry around as resentment. And so, even though there are many times that these feelings are appropriate, and they are natural responses, a lot of the time they are built on this distorted belief that we have that others need to act the way that we want them to, when really no one has to act how you want, ever. And the same is true for you. If someone has expectations on the way that you should be acting, that really is their problem and not yours. We do agree to adhere to some kind of agreements of social mores and social acceptance of how we should be acting if we want to live in harmony in this society, which we're not. It's a whole other episode. But if we spend our time getting angry or resentful when things don't go our way, then we are giving away all of our control of our feelings and state of being to others. And that just doesn't make any sense. So with that, let's talk about learned helplessness, the feeling of powerlessness, and how that might be underlying the feelings of anger and stress. As my experience that I shared with you, and I felt this like sense of powerlessness, like there was 
nothing I could do, which I, you know, realized was not the truth. Hopelessness is a feeling of nothing can be done by anyone to make the situation better. People can accept that there is a threat and it is real, but that threat may be so large that they just feel the situation is hopeless. And I thought that was interesting as opposed to helpless, which is the feeling that you yourself have no power to improve your situation, that it can be improved, just not by you. And the term learned helplessness suggests that a person has been taught or has learned over time to feel helpless and to think in self-defeating ways. So in other words, you've been taught that nothing that you do will make a difference, that you can do nothing right, that others know better than you do, and that you have little or no power or control over either your own life or external events. And this term was coined by Martin Siegelman, who is an American psychologist um, and does a lot with positive psychology. Learned helplessness is this theory that he founded. um, And it's the view that uh, depression, anxiety, and PTSD can all result from a perceived lack of control over the events in our life, which may result from prior exposure to um, actual or apparent, real or perceived uncontrollable negative events. So when we're thinking about learned helplessness, it usually shows up looking like a lack of self-esteem, low motivation, a lack of persistence, because what's the point, a lack of conviction, um, and ultimately failure because we don't keep trying because what's the point? We can't do anything about it. And it's more common for people who have experienced repeated traumatic events like childhood neglect, abuse, domestic violence, because in these situations where there is chronic stress that is unavoidable, and we aren't actually able to do anything in that moment, we learn that what we do doesn't matter. So in this mindset, change seems unfeasible, but it is always possible to take action. We just have to be open to the idea of possibility. We have to leave room for the possibility that something different exists, the possibility that we don't know all of the possible options currently. And so this, as an adult, absolutely, you have the power, again, of choice. But when we've learned as young people in our growing up time, that we cannot escape this threat, that we cannot do anything to change the situation, that we are stuck, that can carry with us into adulthood. And then we have to learn how to switch that state of mind. We have to switch the way that we are thinking and we have to learn new behaviors, new mindsets, new patterns. And so the question is, what goes on in the mind and the brain during these states of learned helplessness? And then more important, how, what do we do about it? So there's a couple of different things kind of mindset related things. Uh, If we're looking at these as different ways that we can interpret something and how that affects our ability to overcome this learned helplessness or whether we will probably continue that pattern. And one of them is being internally related. So and when we are thinking about things, when something happens, it doesn't go our way, we think something is wrong with me. We think it's related to our internal state, to our inherent worth or state as a person. 
I'm never good at X, Y, and Z. Something is wrong with me. Why can't I do this? Everyone else seems to be doing it. It's got to be me. And if we flip that and look to externally relate to things, we can create a little bit of space between us and this event and think, okay, I didn't get enough sleep. So I wasn't thinking as clearly as normal. I had, you know, low capacity because I'm super stressed out because I've got all of these things going on. And so that's why I was not great at this thing. We're able to kind of see the, the, all of the factors from our space around us, what is demanding our time and energy, our community, what's going on in our life that is affecting our abilities and our capacity to deal, deal with things in those moments. Instead of immediately thinking, I suck. I'm never good at this. This is what's wrong with me. And then we have something, whether we're, we're looking at whether something is stable and long lasting, kind of the time period. And if we are thinking, this is going to happen again, I know it, it's inevitable, this always happens, this isn't going to change. We're probably going to feel pretty helpless. As opposed to thinking that things are not long lasting and never changing. They are temporary and they are short lived because everything is always changing. The only constant is change. Whether it's good or it's bad, it will change. And again, when we can create some space, we can think about that. All of the times that we've been through and overcome the things that we thought might never end, they ended at some point. And so with this kind of temporary short-lived outlook, we can think that, you know, this is temporary. This is probably a one-off occurrence. It happened, but who knows what's going to happen in the future because everything changes. And then we have an outlook of whether it's global and all-encompassing, everything everywhere is going to be like this. I can't do anything anywhere, no matter what. Or whether it's situation specific. My weakness is in this one area, not all areas. It's not because there's something wrong with me. It's that I'm not good at this thing and that's okay. Or this one setback is related to these circumstances, X, Y, and Z, and not because it's just the way it is and it's never going to change. So whether we're looking at ourselves internally or whether we're attributing things externally, whether we believe that they will have an end point or not, and if they we believe that they are situational and understand that things change, our capacity changes with time, with, I mean, from day to day with different circumstances and different situations and different environments, it's always changing. So understanding a basic principle of selfhood, the fact that you are in control is the biggest thing we can do here is remember that. Something as simple as just repeating a mantra when you feel powerless of, I have choice in this moment, or, you know, whatever, whatever rings your bell, whatever works for you. Um, And then one way we can accomplish this is through active goal setting. I have a choice. I'm going to set this goal. Because we know that humans love concrete goals. Goal setting has been shown to increase behavior change because when we have something concrete to strive for, it increases our desire to act in a certain way, motivation or discipline or dedication 
to yourself and this thing, this thing that you want to see happen. So when we're setting reasonable goals that are likely to be achieved, this will provide us a sense of control over our outcomes, especially when we begin to meet those goals on a consistent basis. And I've talked about this before in relation to movement. When we move our bodies in a certain way, when we lift a little bit heavier, when we are able to go upside down in a handstand, when we're able to do a push up, whatever it is, we get, you know, we're able to run that mile. We have a sense of control over our outcomes because we begin to meet them. We feel a little bit better. And how we literally sense ourselves as strong and powerful in the world changes. And so if we're looking at actionable goals, concrete goals with steps, Uh, A good goal setting is the SMART method, which if you don't know what that is, go ahead and look it up. I'm not going to get into it, but it's just kind of the what, where, when, who, how, and why of your goals. Really listing out clear, concrete, tangible outcomes, locations, time points, measurement, and why. Why do you want to do this thing? your values, your missions, all of these things, getting very, very specific and very clear and giving yourself goalposts along the way. Because otherwise, it could be too big and too uncomfortable and too far out of our comfort zone and too scary. And then it's overwhelming. And then it's hard to stick with. So I was reading an article about the neural circuitry involved in this phenomenon of learned helplessness. And it was basically saying that helplessness was not actually learned in these original experiments that um, Siegelman was doing with these uh, animals, but instead that the state of passivity and heightened anxiety are the default reaction to prolonged bad events because we want to, you know, decrease pain and increase chances of survival. That's the whole goal. And so what can be learned is not this the helplessness that we originally thought it was, but it is cortical, meaning the uh, kind of outside layers, the newer parts of your brain. We can learn and through neuroplasticity change the patterns. We can learn that bad events will be controllable in the future. So we have this circuit this kind of different parts of your brain that all talk to each other that might be thought of as the hope circuit because they have been found to um, be involved in these in, in, in hope, which consists largely in the habit of just expecting that future bad events will not be permanent. They will not be global and uncontrollable like we just talked about, but instead they will be temporary and situational and controllable. So these expectations are likely the best natural defense against helplessness. And so this kind of hope circuit is what facilitates that. So when we're looking at learned helplessness, and we know that it can make it really hard to manage stress, and then it increases the symptoms attached to depression, anxiety, and PTSD, we look at behaviors in in the places that, that are super common where we exhibit this learned helplessness. For example, continuing to smoke, even though we've tried several times to quit 
can cause a person to believe that they will always need to smoke and they can't do it and there's something wrong with them. It's always going to be like this no matter where they're at, even though it is possible to quit. There is possibility of something different. Same thing with being able to lose weight. This is another one. And I have experienced both of these feelings of kind of helplessness in these situations. Um, Being able to quit smoking when I finally did quit smoking, which was like three years ago. um, I was just kind of finished. And I talked about that in previous episode, but I just, uh, I was done with that. And that was fantastic. But I look at, I look at people who've been smoking for a really long time and just don't believe that it's possible for them to, to do something different. Um, being unable to lose weight after making, you know, different kinds of dietary or lifestyle changes, working out more, nothing's working and can cause a person to believe that it will never happen and then give up trying, and then it will never, in fact, happen. So these are examples of where that learned helplessness can come in. You can choose to break out of that learned helplessness and learned fear, but you have to first be aware of what is happening before you can change it. Awareness awareness always comes first. This is why we create space to increase tolerance and discomfort. When there's more space, we can start to see how our internal stories are affecting us. And then we can start to get curious about where those stories are coming from. What is the root cause? What is that underlying, that primary feeling that is causing our anger, our resentment, this helplessness? Where did that come from? The feeling that we are powerless. And understanding that it's not you, a lot of it has to do with the way that we live, the way that we Pretend like things don't affect us. We don't under, we don't have an understanding of how we work and that the things that we learn, the way that we learn to navigate the world in our primary years affect everything going forward. Our understanding of how the world works and how we work in the world. And that is in general, just a dismissal of our basic needs, but we can choose to respond differently. There is a story in, I don't know where I've heard this in several psychology classes. I know that um, I have a friend who works with with youth and she uses a story a lot, but the way that they train elephants for like the circus and such is they put a little ring around their leg into a stake in the ground when they're babies. And they're not strong enough at that point to pull it out, but they learn that they try and fail and try and fail. And so it seems that there's nothing they can do. They learn helplessness in this situation. They grow to be giant elephants who could just walk away with that stake, go about their business, but they don't try anymore because they learned a long time ago that what they do doesn't matter. And so when we come from homes that are unstable, situations that have repeated trauma in childhood. And again, trauma is just uh, an event that your system has not fully processed. It doesn't necessarily mean severe abuse or domestic violence. Those are things that we named, yes, but those are not the only ones. We tend to think it's kind of that black or white, all or nothing spectrum, and that's that's not how trauma works. It's different for everyone. Almost everyone experiences it at some point, multiple times in their life. So we're, if we're thinking about these things that we've learned in childhood, we have to unlearn these things. We have to have something else to learn in its place 
And so here are some things to help if you notice yourself slipping back into familiar feelings of powerlessness, starting to get angry and resentful about, you know, feeling like you don't have a choice. You always have a choice. And being able to, number one, practice your nervous system hygiene, regulate your state so that you can relax and then let go of some of that initial tension, and then expand your capacity to get curious about these other layers. Go to therapy, deal with the traumas, and learn your feelings, learn your emotional intelligence, how to express and process your emotions. I think I'm going to do a whole episode on this. I was just... Uh, listening to some things that, that sparked a whole, whole bunch of thoughts on this. So stay tuned on that. Um, so practice your nervous system hygiene, go to therapy and leave the past where it is. It's in the past. And this is super complex because unprocessed feelings and arousal energy from those traumas is stored in the body until it is processed. And also ruminating over the wrongs and resentment is not processing. So again, go to therapy, start your nervous system hygiene practice to create space and understand that unless you have learned a way to change the past, it's going to stay the same. And so wishing it were different is not useful. Try expressing your anger and resentment through different types of activities. Physical activities are great for this. Walking, running, lifting heavy shit. This can spend some of that arousal energy, and we already know that movement is one of the best mental health tools we have. You can also journal about your anger or resentment. Get these feelings out, write out all of the anger without editing yourself, without worrying about what you're saying, just write out everything you've got. And now you've transferred that from only existing with inside you onto this paper. It can live there now. Or, you know, burn that shit, whatever. But you have it out, you know, you've taken a piece of that. What's the uh, metaphor or analogy? I never know. I have to look up every time the definition of those. But um, you're letting you're letting some of that, some of the steam, some of the pressure out there. No, journaling is not going to take away everything. It's a way for you to express a little bit of it and let a little bit of it out in a place where only you're going to see it. So you can don't have to hold back. You don't have to edit yourself. You don't have to pretend anything. Say exactly what you're feeling and thinking. And then let those emotions exist. All of them. Get curious about where they come from. Feel the underlying emotions of fear, hurt, vulnerability, insecurity. That can be really, really fucking hard. Which again is why it's easier to use anger to cover it up. But that's not getting to the root of what's going on. So feel the feelings and then get curious about what choice you have for future experiences and learn the capacity you have for choice and the power you have over your decisions. All right, this episode is uh, longer than usual. So I'm going to stop there for today. But as always, I am so grateful that you are here. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend. I think that's all for this week. So I hope you have a beautiful week. And until next time, peace out.